As many of us are currently confined at home in many places of the world, and while we keep in our minds and in our hearts those who have no choice but to be at risk from the ongoing worldwide pandemic because they're doctors, nurses, workers, homeless, incarcerated, or in any other precarious situation, we wanted to provide you with a daily podcast to use this time to reflect and organize. The concept is very simple. Every day, we ask one person the same question. What is for you a moment of true decolonization? The answer can be a historical moment or something they witnessed, something heroic and grandiose or rather discreet and mundane, a durable blow to the structures of colonialism or a short instant of liberation. We thank you very much for listening and wish you and your loved ones the very best wherever you are. Hello everyone, uh, today is the 12th episode of A Moment of True Decolonization. Uh, our guest is uh, Rima Bass, who is a Sudanese journalist, a writer, a blogger and a feminist activist based in Khartoum. Uh, and she's currently researching cyberbullying against women activists and influencers in Sudan. And she was part of the our 24th issue um, as part of the News from the Front. Uh, she wrote a fantastic article about uh, the Sudanese revolution um, and in particular through the typology of the barricade. Uh, hi, Rim. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for talking with me today uh, from Khartoum. Um, so sh- maybe we should just start. Could you, could you tell me which moment of decolonization you wanted to, to tell us about? So I thought about this a lot, like what is a, a moment of true decolonization? What does it mean to me? Uh, and like, what do I understand or what does decolonization mean? Uh, I mean, in my perspective, is it just looking at, you know, different power dynamics around the world, looking at relationships between the global south and the global north, you know, vis-a-vis the global north, or looking at, uh, you know, relationships in like a patriarchal context or looking at uh, like my society, like what is a decolonized space in my society. And I was thinking about uh, Sudanese lifestyle groups on Facebook that are women-only, basically, lifestyle groups. And they're groups that have millions of members. And they're very important because this is a truly decolonized space. This is a space where it's about Sudanese women, about their things, what what matters to them. uh, Because it's a very different context, right? Because they don't see their issues. They don't see themselves represented in the you know, the regional media, they don't see their issues represented in the mainstream media in Sudan because it's very uh, polarized, because it's very, uh, you know, conservative, because it's very, um, because it's meant to really reinforce uh, certain uh, societal norms that want to basically restrict women's movements and criminalize their behavior. So this is a, a, a free space. It's a space for them to, to, to disconnect from their societies, but also to empower each other and also to find, to find roots, to find solidarity, to find fellow comrades who can you know, give them advice, who can help them, who can you know, co- connect them with other people. And uh, it's also more important when, um, when, when the, the, those lifestyle groups are also very much in, in uh, 
uh, you know, in when you're looking at them from in contrast with the patriarchal system. So this is a space where, you know, the patriarchy is challenged. The patriarchy is, you know, reconstructed in their minds. It's a space where the patriarchy is uh, criminalized, and it's also a space where where you have different women arguing about what it means to be free. What does the patriarchy mean to them? Uh, what it means to be you know, a Sudanese woman? Like what kind of rights should you have and should you not have? So it's a very interesting space. And I wanna say, I, I wanna talk a little bit about the different you know, groups that are there. You have groups such as FNG, which started as a group uh, that focuses on beauty, you know? And there's so many like different discussions within the groups, things like skin bleaching, which is a very big topic uh, you know, in Sudan, you know, as opposed to like in the MENA region, it maybe it's not as uh, as widespread, but in Sudan, skin bleaching is is a very big issue, and it's a very polarized issue because it's about, I mean, it's not. I mean, women do know that this is that skin bleaching is harmful, but then when it gives you access, when a lighter complexion gives you access to resources, gives you access to better opportunities. Uh, then it becomes a very, very complicated issue. So there are a lot of talks about this issue, about this skin bleaching, you know, what it means for women. There are a lot of things about um, women looking at, you know, uh, discussing beauty products, uh, marketing beauty products. And this is also a place where you have so many young women who want to sell their products and lifestyle tools who are operating entire businesses from the comfort of their homes. So this is a place where they can earn money. This is a place where they can hire other women to act as social media marketers uh, to sell products online. So this is a place where women are empowered, where women can work, where women can make money, uh, you know, without having, without risking some kind of, you know, like backlash in their home. So they're trying to navigate the spaces that they have and at the same time they're challenging, you know, the patriarchal systems that want them to do nothing basically, not to work, not to make money, not to be empowered, not to meet other women, not to, you know, find knowledge and change their opinions. Um, another thing it's the groups are really used to provide information and, and, and information where the media is heavily controlled and monitored. So you find that women, you know, talk about their concerns, their problems. They talk about issues such as abortion, you know. They talk about issues such as having problems with abusive husbands, domestic violence. Uh, and they're able to find, like, legal aid through volunteer women lawyers online. So this is a space where you can talk about issues that you can never think about discussing in other like arenas and in other like media outlets so this is a place where it's okay to talk about violence where it's okay to talk about relationships to to talk about men you know to talk about what you want to talk about looking good so and then also um those groups were so critical during the sudanese revolution that began in December 2018. Uh, the groups were used by women to organize, to mobilize, to share information. Uh, when, there are no, when there were basically no other platforms that were doing this, and at times it helped women uh, and it helped people secure themselves, you know. So uh, they were the kind of information they were sharing. Actually, it's interesting, but but 
Um, in, but even those, those groups were part of the accumulation of resistance over the years. In 2016, when they lifted the subsidies from uh, you know, product, like biomedical companies and medical products, um, women were on the, women mobilized in these groups and they went, they took to the streets to protest. And so for years, they were part of this resistance. For many people looking at the groups from the outside, oh, they're just, you know, women groups uh, focusing on beauty. Like, who cares about that? You know, they have nothing else to do. But in reality, this is where a lot of resistance was happening. Resistance against the regime, resistance against their own households and, and, and the social structures that they found uh, very restrictive. So I want to tell you about um, a group one of the platforms that became uh, very popular during the revolution. So one of the groups is called Munbarshat. I mean, I've been a member, I think, for the last four years. So Munbarshat is a very interesting group because um, Munbarshat is basically a group where women would, um, would basically upload pictures of, their, of men. Like, it could be their husbands, their boyfriends, men they're interested in. And the idea is to find information. Like, is this guy single? This guy knows someone I know. He's asked me out. What do I say? Like, is he good? Is he a cheater? Is this, this man, is he a cheater? If, like, so it's basically you're trying to catch your cheating boyfriend or husband, or you're trying to find information to make sure that this person is not lying and it's and you know basically what you're getting yourself into. So this was a very powerful uh, place. And when Munbarshat, when it first like rose into prominence and became a big group, it received a lot of backlash because for years, uh, women had their pictures stolen and put in like different groups and they were harassed and they were cyber bullied. And their pictures were, and they were told that as long as you post your picture online, we can use it and we can do whatever we want with it. But then when it was women posting pictures of men, it became a very big problem, okay? So what happened in Munbarshat was very interesting. So Munbarshat became a very popular group because it's a group where women felt empowered, where women felt that they have control, where women felt that there is solidarity and that they're getting information, okay? And as a result of Munbarshat, for example, a lot of, you know, uh, cheating men were, were exposed. <laughs> but that's not even the beginning. Uh, what happened is that because you have so many, like, young women and so many women who are part of this group and it's very popular, during the revolution, it became known as the security service of the revolution because it became a powerhouse. Uh, people would actually post pictures um, of uh, security officers, of policemen who were, you know, who were, uh, as they were arresting, torturing, beating, uh, you know, surveilling protesters. And then they would bring the pictures to Munbarshat and within minutes, they, you would have an entire biography of this person, their name, their siblings, where they live, where they went to school, what they're doing, what they're known for. So basically, it was terrifying for the security service because at the end of the day, the security service is made up of men who obviously have relationships with different and who've had relationships with different women who and some of which are part of Munbarshat. And it was really interesting to find that the security service had to change their technique because of this group. I mean, at, it got to a point where, where when they would arrest women, they would ask them, are you part of Munbarshat? Because they wanted to know who is, who is behind this group, who is running this group, okay? 
um, who started this group, okay? And where are they? Because, of course, it's, it's a kind of a mentality where they believe that everything is centralized. Everything, it's just a bunch of people who control the group. But Moon Bershat, you do have admins, but you also, but it's a very decentralized effort. It's an effort where you have so many people writing freely, commenting. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a collective effort. It's not a one-man show. And the second thing is, uh, because they were named and shamed and, and people were gathering evidence and intelligence on the security officials, um, they had to cover their face. They basically had to wear, uh, to, to cover their face with, with like a, a scarf uh, to, uh, you know, as they're basically arresting people on the streets because they didn't want to have their pictures taken and they didn't want people to get to know them. So this group that was once called, you know, a group where, um, you know, the, the, the bad girls or the ill-mannered girls are, are, are basically part of has become a very important tool and has become a tool that really um, threatened uh, the state security system. I love how this is a tool even more than a moment, which I, I, I feel the, the series could be about that as well. Uh, right now you're describing a, a situation that was roughly like a year ago. What, what's, the current, uh, what's the current status of, uh, of this group? So this group, uh, after the, the period, in, after the revolution, there were so many different efforts, you know. Part of the effort is to continue naming and shaming the different people that were part of the old regime and that have committed atrocities. So the group has basically, it is a mine, it is like um, a basically an encyclopedia when it comes to information okay information that could be very critical information that could be very critical to to trials information that could be very critical to finding perpetrators okay and this is all in the in, in this in this group called Moon Bashad. And other than that, the group has continued. I mean, you find people posting pictures of men, you know, still doing that. But at the same time, you find people, you know, organizing uh, against Corona, you know. So it is, it's a tool where women have the opportunity to come together and find this collective moment, you know, to do something, to feel that they can contribute to their society and to feel that, that their efforts are very important and that there are other people who think like them and who want to do similar things. So it's a very, very important tool. The other groups have also become, you know, a part of this bigger picture because I think also the dynamic, uh, you know, within the groups changed with the revolution, okay? I mean, right now, when there is uh, something happening in the country, basically, all the people in the group are like, guys, we need to stop publishing on any other topic we need to focus on this issue and we need to basically and it's called like shutting down um like posts so that only the posts that are for example about COVID 19 are the are, are the posts that are showing or the posts that are about for example the revolution are the posts that are showing so it's it's kind of it becomes a moment where people ha are rallying around an issue and that this is the issue that we have to focus on and that we have to support And this is very important. So, so basically, if we're talking about a women's movement in Sudan, I think, the, and I think those groups represent a larger women's movement that is very informal, but that is also very effective in like inducing and instigating collective work and and collective empowerment. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rim. I think it's uh, incredibly 
inspiring and uh, it's something that could be uh, applied to so many situations so i thank you so much for for taking the time yeah thank you thank you that's all for today find us tomorrow again for a new episode as part of this daily podcast series and if you're a subscriber to the Phenomenalist, remember that you have access to every single article we published in the past in their online version on our website. Thank you very much and take care.